Today we go to number two in our installment of looking at worship again. Jesus declared in John 4, it's recorded, believe me, woman, and sir, also, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The English word worship is derived from the old English word worship. It constitutes those actions and attitudes that revere and honor the worthiness of the great God of heaven and earth. Thus, worship is God-centered, not man-centered. In Christian worship, we draw near to God in gratitude for what he has done for us in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. It requires a faith commitment and an acknowledgement that he is our God and Lord. God-centered means it's not about us. My story has been oft repeated here, but I want to just refer to this. Uh, guilt, feelings of unworthiness um, to, the, to the neurotic extent of uh, self-rejection as far as being in any way able to relate properly to God is part of my story. Uh, much of this was um, self-imposed, but the oldest child, um, born with concrete personality, uh, perfectionistic, and then reading in the family uh, worship time as a, as a kid before I had a grasp of abstracts, such things as if you look on a woman to lust after her, you already committed adultery in your heart, or if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart, and you take that and stick that into a mind that thinks concretely, then it, it locked on. What happened is I locked on to those particular concepts, and when my ability to handle abstracts came along, I was already fixated, and it got to be miserable. And do you know what that does to God and how that reduces his uh, worthiness to receive my praise? Not at all. It relates in no way. It doesn't change him. It doesn't affect him. He is totally worthy of praise. Now, I in my unbelief, would not praise the Lord all the time. I, I would get through, and, and the gospel was all everywhere I turned, and biblical teaching was everywhere I turned, and a wonderful model of Christian walk and love and care and interpersonal relationships was modeled in my home and many of the, the other adults that I, with whom I associated but worthiness is 
really not related to God's worth and our uh, privilege and obligation to give him our worship. So when we say God-centered, remember that you can't commit enough sins to reduce God's worthiness to be praised. You just can't. I know you're good, but you're not that good. And some of us had perfected the sinning thing or at least accusing ourselves when we didn't sin. I was good at that. And that did not in any way reduce the power of God that was to be given to him in my personal praise. So how do we do that? Well, when you come into a position of mentally saying, I need to praise God, it's time. Whether that's the first thing you do when you awaken or whatever triggers that in your day. And of course, especially when you walk into this room or a place, a similar gathering where there's a bunch of people who set themselves to focus on the Lord. Here is what's supposed to be done. You're supposed to focus on the Lord and give him what he deserves. I, I know that uh, this is difficult and we build up great monuments to, to things that give us an excuse to not do that. Um, one of the things that's current in the U- U.S. church is I don't like that music. Now, I, I suppose that if you're here... You made it into this room this morning. Um, you knew pretty much what the music is going to be, and so you're okay with that. But that's not true in a lot of lives all over this nation. And you know how I feel about that. If you've been around here very long, you've heard very clearly how I feel about that. First of all, the music is not about you. And that is just the truth. We don't do this music for you. We do it for the people that we hope to draw to Jesus Christ, a certain demographic that we have targeted because we believe this is what God wants us to do. This is the group that we believe we are supposed to reach. And I don't want anything. I don't want a pebble in the way of them coming to Jesus Christ, if I have the ability to remove that pebble, if I can't handle that stuff, then they just need to crawl over it and come on to the Lord. But um, if it's my deal, I don't, want, I don't want a straw in their way. And I know that your heart's the same place mine is. And so we do not poll you to see what you like music style. Have you noticed that? And the reason we did that is because we believe this is what we're supposed to do before God. And we've asked you to join this team, and apparently you have. Here you are. And so we are on a mission to win people to Jesus, and our music style is about that purpose, not anything else. Now, some of you would be well served to get over your unworthiness I know you're unworthy. You know I'm unworthy. Who's worthy to worship God? 
If that, if that in any way implies that we are sort of like he is, don't worship him. You're unworthy. But that's not the implication. The implication is he is worthy. He is good. He is the creator. He is the one who is love. He is the one who is pure, which means he is just. And all of the stuff that rolls into God, so, and it makes it very difficult for us to understand this because he is far above our understanding. So we take by faith that our worthiness is not related to that. Another thing, being God-centered, means that it, it doesn't have to do with our understanding. Uh, in the text that we read from John 4 a while ago, a quote, Jesus said, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We know what we know about this because God has, has willed and created it that salvation is going to come out of the Jews and was coming out as Jesus was speaking. And before he left this earth, it was settled and done. Salvation was completed from God's side. But our understanding of worship, um, it's, it's really interesting to, to have people who are committed to worship. They go to school. They go to college, undergraduate uh, school, to learn how to better present the things of God and lead people in worship. And then when they work and work and work and work and, and work with other people and and get everything kind of uh, harmonized and together, then they're supposed to be, sort of be invisible so that all the glory can go to God. Now that is a tough order. It's accomplished all the time. It can certainly be done, but when you pray about worship leaders, deal with this. They practice and practice and practice. Some of these people that stand on our platform have spent scores of thousands of dollars on uh, undergraduate and graduate degrees in music, in private lessons, and thousands of hours in practicing on their particular uh, vehicle, whether it's voice or instrument or voice and instrument or instruments. Now, you say to them, okay, give this to God and be invisible as far as getting any glory and any praise. Well, they do it with all their heart, and they're very good at it. But when you pray for them, pray that that miracle will happen because every time we work that hard on something that's that important to us that we give all of that commitment, and then it has to just be clunk, set aside. Good luck. Well, the Lord does that because it's his will. He calls them to that, and when he calls them, he gives the grace, and they do it all the time, and that's the reason they're so powerful. Did you experience it this morning? If you didn't, you're kind of in trouble. I don't know whether you're dead or almost dead, or, and I could go down a long list, couldn't I? Uh, here's the, you, you may need to get in grief share, and it's about you. I'm not sure, I, you know, uh, but... Uh, this business of standing to lead people to concentrate on God. Some of you might remember in a series on worship decades ago, 
I, I think it was on a Sunday night in a, in a multipurpose room over on Brewage Cutoff. I came down and stood at the head of the center aisle and said, now, worship is not singing to the crowd on the platform, and the crowd on the platform is not singing for us out here. Worship is for an audience of one. And I came down and I said, now we're going to rehearse. And so we practiced a little bit of a song, and I tried to cut you off, and you weren't watching. You're not good choir people, but... Uh, some of you cut off and so we worked on this song and then we sang the song to the Lord I hope and it was just an illustration that we are not here to be entertained by these incredible musicians that that stand on this platform and give what they have to us and to the Lord we are here to honor God audience of one the whole dirty bunch you with me led by these people up here to give to God a little tiny piece of what he deserves to receive. When we realize a little bit of how he is and we focus on him, it is wonderful. Now, I'm, I don't think that even in heaven we will realize how God really is because he is infinite and we will still be in a form of humanity in heaven. So I think there's always going to be vastly more of God than we will ever be able to uh, put our minds around, but we can try, and the trying is absolutely wonderful. The effort is sublime. It is over the top in what God does for us. Now, um, you don't have to understand it. Just do it. That's, that's really, really interesting. Um, I want to underscore something that, that the Lord has been dealing with me in the last few months. And it is this, that we, and you've heard me say this before, but it's gotten in my face more in recent months. We judge ourselves by our motives, others by what they do. Okay, now hold that because when we stand before God, he is going to say, what'd you do? We will be judged according to our works. Scripture says it all the way through. So our works, so you can, you can not be intellectually grasping, but you, you stand there and, and Nick and others say to you, Let's get our minds on the Lord, and you do that and start singing a song to him, that's it. You just did it. You say, uh, uh, but I don't have an education, and I don't know what that has to do with anything. Now, you might sound better. <laughs> one, of the, one of the old jokes in... Bible school was if somebody was singing in the shower or something like that, we'd say, hey, what'd you do with that five bucks your mom gave you? And they'd say, what five bucks? The five bucks for, for voice lessons. It's not that funny, is it? But anyway, uh, it was funny enough for me to remember it. Um, you, might, you might, you know, if you want to sound better, get some training. 
But if you're doing it for the glory of God, you are doing it. It's happening. The works are occurring. That is wonderful. And I know that sometimes age does not improve your singing voice. I've noticed that personally about you. No, uh, and uh, I used to be invited to sing at weddings and stuff. That hasn't happened in a long time. And uh, so I, I, I go to bass so nobody can hear me, but uh, part of the time. But you see, it, if that's a struggle to me or you, then we need to deal with, with our struggles because the Lord is watching the act, the work, the deed of worship. Well, I hope that's encouraging to you because that just opens the door to everyone. You may not be able to carry a tune at all. And they say, sing this note, and you go, you know, it just, you don't hear it. You do not hear it. There are people whose ears do not connect with that part of their brain that can correct a tone. If you, if you, from the music department, it's called an intonation problem. And uh, if you're not from the music department, it's called being tone deaf. And you know what that matters to God? Zero. Just give it to God. If it really sounds badly to those around you, moderate your volume. Bring it down just a little bit. But make sure you do it. Because the Lord is worthy. If it is God-centered, our worship then has nothing to do with our feelings. Now, I've been playing around feelings, but I just want to nail it. Last Sunday, I went to the, the book of Nehemiah and picked up the time where these people who had been out of the country because of their sin, they'd been exiled, and a few of them, just a few thousand, they came in hundreds and hundreds of thousands, generations before, then they, they were deported, and when they came back, they came in by the hundreds, not hundreds of thousands. So there's several thousand of them now, and they're back in the land of Israel, and uh, they have rebuilt the temple, and they have rebuilt the city walls, and uh, things are much, much better. So they get everyone together in the country to have a, a religious meeting and a scripture reading session, so they read the scripture. And they started about eight in the morning, and they, they go to about noon, and we pick up this picture now. It says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Because they had heard the word of God, they had heard the instruction, and they were all breaking it. And if they weren't, their next door neighbor was, and they were afraid that the judgment on him would spill over on them. And they begin to mourn and weep. And you know that then and as now in the Middle East, when people mourn and weep, it's really loud. So these um, said, these guys that were the leaders said, don't do this. Do not mourn or weep. Because all of the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy 
choice food, sweet drinks, send some to those who have not prepared. This day is sacred to our God. Do not grieve. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I pulled this out last week to illustrate uh, the term counterintuitive because when you are mourning and weeping and you're supposed to start being joyful, that's counterintuitive. It's like counterintuitive just means it doesn't make any sense, okay? That's, that'll work as a definition. But what I want to pull out of that today is this. Those people did not deserve the blessing of God and they knew it. And they, were, they feared God. They had seen the judgment of God upon their nation. And it used to be flourishing and powerful and a world power in one sense of the word. And now they just sort of were, you know, they had the walls up and they had their place of worship. They had, had rebuilt their homes. It was pitiful by comparison. And they, they hear all of this stuff that they, they're still doing wrong. And they, they know they're guilty, and their leaders are saying, get over it. Let's have a celebration. This is a holy day. Let's make it a holiday and have a picnic. We're going to play softball and volleyball. And we're, we're just going to have a water fight. We're just going to have a party. Why? Because if you want to be strong to live above sin, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, those of us who are perfectionists know that that can't be true. Because if you're a perfectionist, you know that trying really hard and kind of getting in a, a brace strain and just take the load and just be perfect is what you have to do. Only I tried that for a decade or more, and it doesn't work well. I'm good for three days. And I wouldn't want to have lived with me during those three days, but I was good for three days of what I thought was probably about halfway right. And then the wheels fell off because it was my act. It, those were my works, and my works are not worth anything. If somebody had just gotten through to my blockhead, you know, this dropped me by the throat and said, we're going to make it real tight here if you don't pay attention. And taught me, be joyful. Now that is counterintuitive and I would have given them a thousand reasons, maybe not all out loud, but they would have been right there. A thousand reasons. That can't be right, can't work, not going to happen. But the scripture is true. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I finally discovered that when I would take a blow and some kind of unbelief or something would hit me and I would be knocked over, I learned to come up praising God, rejoicing in the Lord because that's the only way I have any strength to be successful in walking with God. And if you haven't figured that out yet, listen, there is great news the joy of the Lord is your strength. You have problems with guilt. Ah, we can form a club here. There's a whole bunch of us. Sometimes when I tell my story, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, some of, some of you have other problems, you know, and, and the guilt thing goes over your head. 
But many of you know exactly what I'm saying, and let me tell you, if you haven't discovered that the joy of the Lord is your strength, discover it. Open your heart. Say, God, I need to see that because I need to be strong. And when you do that, you will find that that joy is focusing right into the Father. It's called worship. And you get both the joy of the Lord and the power that is released in worship. And that is success. That is success. We want to take the business model and put it down over our Christian walk and our Christian work. Okay? You don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, I'll explain it to you. The business model is you have a plan. You get a business plan, you set these goals, you have this vision for this business, and you you work it, and you get help where you need it, and and you spend where you need to spend, you don't spend where you don't need to spend, and you work this thing through, and unless the market goes south or you picked a very poor business in which to invest yourself, you're going to make a little money, sometimes a lot of money, and uh, that's part of the American dream. And that's wonderful. I'm glad for you if that happens to you. But let me tell you that the American dream is the American dream. It's not the Christian way. The Christian way is find out what God's will is and just do it. If it seems to fail, just do it. If it never is rewarded with what you get like out of a business where you make a profit in, in, in some businesses you make enough profit that it, you get really comfortable and you get to travel, you get to do whatever. I'm glad for you, take me with you. But the word of God is about faithfulness. It is about doing what God calls you to do, doing it anyway when you're tired, doing it no matter how you feel. When you feel guilty, do it. And worship is a part of what God calls us to do. And when you come into this room, if you don't do it in any of the rest of your life, you are really limiting yourself. But for goodness sakes, if you're not going to do it outside the room, when you come in this room, focus on God. And you, at least while you're here, will be lifted up. You will lift up other people. And we need to be lifted up. I I have been really kind of stubborn and hard-nosed about worship for a long time. Almost 50 years that as a pastor, after a couple years of pastoring, I had this experience and, and really decided to focus on the Lord and just do it. Stick my hands up in the air if that's what it, you know, just do it, all right? Now, as we move forward in this, There will be all kinds of things to blow us sideways. It doesn't matter, however, how you feel. I remember when I had learned to praise God for bad things. If you've never heard of that, that's in the scripture. There is one passage praising God for all things. Ah, yeah, I read the Greek. I checked the preposition. It is for all things. Now, there's several places where you're supposed to praise God in everything. 
If you can't praise him for it, praise him in it. But uh, I, w- I had learned to, I, had just, I was just a baby moving into this praising God for bad things. So one day, about four in the afternoon, I began to get all the symptoms of the flu. Ran a little fever, skin was hurting, head was hurting, throat was tight. So I'm lying down, I'm, I'm on the couch in the den in the parsonage at Duncan, Oklahoma. And I'm lying there and I feel rotten, just, you know, hurt. And, and I'm, I don't want to be sick. Uh, I sort of have this deal, if you really walk in the spirit, you probably won't be sick. Don't, go, don't take that very far. <laughs> Wheels will fall off that one. Um, but uh, I was lying there and I said, I wonder if you can praise God for the flu. Not in the flu. You can do that. So I said, Lord, I want to thank you that I hurt. I have fever. Head hurts. Throat hurts. Skin feels like it does with flu. And I was like, didn't change, didn't change the pain, but boy, that'll do something for the inside of you. Because what's the enemy going to do to you if he can't keep you from praising God? You know, well, I'll fix him. I'll give him the flu. Didn't stop me from praising the Lord and focusing on him. And so I, 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 I laid there and um, praised God. And it was a wonderful experiment. Now, I do want to do one thing here. I am often heard if someone is sick, I'm saying, are you sick enough to get the sin out of your life? And that's it's supposed to be really, really sarcastic, as if your sickness is caused by sin. The implication being that sickness can't cause, or sin can't cause sickness. Uh, actually, that is a reaction to an out-of-balance teaching that was about faith, and my faith is so powerful And if I pray for you, you're sick, and I pray for you, and you don't get healed, there must be sin in your life. And that was taught widely. So my reaction to that, and reactions are always a little iffy as far as being valuable, but my reaction to that is to make a joke out of it. However, in that particular case where I had the flu, I had lost my temper that afternoon, Eunice and I were talking about something, and there was something going on in a life that I didn't like, and I was just walking the floor in the kitchen and in the breakfast area back and forth, and she and I were talking, and I was just walking the floor, and I was ranting against this guy. And in an hour's time, I was sick. So there can be a connection. The Lord brought that to my mind. I confessed it, asked Eunice to forgive me for railing against she certainly had no control over this guy i if he were still alive i should go beat him up now but but i i can't so i won't and i wouldn't if i could uh because before i got there i the lord would say you're going to forgive him and when i forgave him then i was like and and i'm going to beat him up why did you follow that (laughs) i didn't i don't know what i'm talking about anyway um there can, I just want to say to you, and I don't think I'm going to stop using that joke because I hate that, I hate that implication is that, that if you're sick, if you just get the sin out of your life, you'll get well. But if 
you are sick, ask the Lord. Oh, the Holy Spirit is faithful. It will become painfully clear. What you did, you can confess it, stop doing it, and that settles that. Now, I, I just wanted, I, I needed to tell you about my little stupid joke, which I do not intend to stop using. And you'll hear it again, no doubt. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't check that also. Check everything if you get sick. Try to figure out, you know, cover all the bases, cast out the devil, do, do everything. Let's don't be sick. I don't want to be sick. God has given us health. And part of the way that we, we move into health is in worship. Now, this is not old. This is not new to you. This is old stuff. If you happen to be a guest here today or are new among us as part of this family, maybe this is more new to you than it is some of the others. Or maybe you're not walking with the Lord at all. I want you to know this, that God Almighty that we're talking about focusing on is worthy of your praise. And if you don't like him, you don't, you don't like Christians, I want you to reconsider those decisions, those positions, because God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son in death for you so that he could get you up into his lap and love you and heal you and release praise, worship, honor, glory to himself through you, give you a family. You say, are they Christians? I don't like Christians. Well, you, maybe you just need to get to know them better. They, they mean we may not be as bad as you think. And if, if the average is kind of bad, maybe you need to get with the Lord and be such a good Christian that you'd raise that average a little bit. Because God loves you. And we love you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to come upon this congregation. That person.